morning, everybody. Good morning. Good morning. All right. Let's get started. Um, Psalms 45. before 45 um, this is out of Matthew chapter 6 25 through 34 therefore I say to you be not anxious for your life what you shall eat or what you shall drink nor yet for your body what you shall put on is not the life more than food and the body than your, clo your clothing behold the birds of the heaven they don't even sow, they don't reap, they're not considering how to gather things together to put it into the barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they are? Which of you, being anxious, can add one more cubit to the measure of your life? Why are you anxious concerning your clothes or your raiment? Consider the lily of the field, how they grow. They toil not, and neither do they spin. Yet I say unto you that Solomon, all his glory, was not arrayed like any one of these. But if God does so clothe the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you? O oh, ye of little faith, be not therefore anxious, saying, where are we gonna get our food? Where are we going to get our drink? Where are we going to get our clothing? For after all these things the Gentiles seek, your heavenly Father knows that all of your needs and what you need, he knows it. But he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Be not anxious for tomorrow, for the tomorrow will be anxious for itself. So
sufficient, sufficient is right now in the moment. Right now we come into a place to enter into a time, to go outside of a time, to enter into the very presence of the Lord. Psalms 45 from the director, according to the tune of the lily by the Korites. This is a well-written poem, it's a love song. My heart is stirred by a beautiful song, and I say, I've put forth my greatest composition. I've made a song for the king. My tongue is skilled like a stylist of an experienced scribe. Lord, you're the most handsome above all men. When you speak, it's impressive. And it's fitting for the season that we're in. For this reason, God, our Father has blessed you. Jesus with continual blessing. You're always blessed. You always have joy. You always have the oil of gladness above all your fellows. Strap your sword, O oh Lord, on your thigh. You're a warrior. You're the one who is filled with majesty and splendor. Appear in your majesty and be victorious, Lord. Ride forth for the sake of what is right and on behalf of justice. Did you ever think this morning that that the Lord would wait on you and he would wait on me to call him forth into the earth to ride? That we would view him as one who is victorious? And that we would know right now that when we call forth the Lord, our elder brother, our king, that he would bring justice into our land and transform this nation. Because we would agree here on earth as it is in heaven and we would call forth him to come forward and do. Lord, to release your mighty acts. Your arrows are sharp and they penetrate the hearts of our enemies. Lord, you can bring a whole nation to fall at your feet. Your throne, O oh God, is permanent. The scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of justice. You know how to set things right, Lord. Things that we can't do, you can do. And so we make an appeal to heaven this morning. Lord, we say that you love justice and you hate evil. For the reason, for this reason, you've been anointed with the oil of joy you're elevated above everyone lord we're not in some kind of subculture right here you are the culture all your garments are perfumed myrrh and aloe and cassia from the luxurious palaces comes the music a stringed instrument plays before you and it makes you happy the princesses are among your honored guests your bride stands at your right hand can you see it 
bright without spot or wrinkle. Wearing jewelry made from the gold from over. Listen, old princess, observe and pay attention. Forget your homeland and even your family. The king will be attracted by your beauty. Call us up, Lord. Call us up into your spirit, into the heavens this morning. Take us up, Lord, that we can be where you're at. I want to be where you are. I crave your spirit more than my own life. Cast not your spirit from us, Lord. We long for you, Lord. by bringing a gift. The princess looks absolutely magnificent, decked out in pearls and clothed in a brocade trimmed with gold. Can you see it with me? I've seen into the heavens before. This is already the now reality. It's already exists right now. You're already seated in heavenly places with Him. You're already His. He's already dancing a dance over us right now. The heavens declare the goodness of Him. Our lives are Yours, Lord. Our lives are Yours, Lord. We were made for You.
Christ, Holy Spirit. 
We want you how you are. We want you. We believe that you are God. We believe that you are King. We believe you created all things. We believe that meaning comes from you. We believe in your blood. We believe, we believe, we believe that you are good. Hosea 3. Lord said to me, go show love to your wife again, even though she loves another man and continually commits adultery. Likewise, the Lord loves the Israelites, although they turn to other gods and they love to offer raisin cakes to idols. So I paid 15 shekels of silver and about 700 bushels of barley to purchase her. And I told her, you must live with me many days. You must not commit adultery or be intimate with another man. also wait for you for the Israelites must live many days without a king or a prince without sacrifice or a sacred fertility pillar without ephod and without idols and afterward the Israelites will turn seek the Lord their God and their Davidic King and they will submit to the Lord and receive his blessing this is coming in the future 
comfort, Lord. You will restore this family, Lord. Restore this remnant family, Lord. Restore our family, Lord. Restore our families, Lord. Judge all things. 
and restore all things. Come and restore all things. Come and restore Fix my 
eyes on the prize I'm looking at you Jesus I fix my eyes on the prize I'm looking at you Fix my eyes on the prize, I'm looking at you, Jesus. I fix my eyes on the prize, I'm looking at you. I fix my eyes on the prize, I'm looking at you, Jesus. I fix my eyes on the prize, I'm looking at you. Oh, I fix my eyes on the prize, I'm looking at you, Jesus. My eyes on the prize, I'm looking at you, and I'm pressing on, and I'm pressing on, and I'm pressing on, and I'm pressing on, oh, and I fix my I'm looking at you, Jesus. I fix my eyes on the prize. I'm looking at you. I fix my eyes on the prize. I'm looking at you, Jesus. I fix my eyes on the prize. I'm looking at you. Oh, I fix my eyes on the prize. I'm looking at you, Jesus. I'm looking in your eyes. I choose to look into your eyes. I choose to look into your eyes. I fix my eyes on the prize. I'm looking at you. I'm pressing on. And I'm pressing on. I'm pressing on. Oh, press in. Press on. Press on. I'm pressing in.
surprise I'm looking at you Jesus fix my eyes on the prize Entertain the people in the court. I'm here to please the king. I want to love on you, Lord. Oh, I want to love on you, Lord. And I did not come to camp outside and view you through a haze. I've got to look into your eyes in the holy Jesus. 
chased by the very one that I pursued. You're coming after me with the ferocity tenderness oh lamb of god and the blaze in your gaze is drawing me deeper into you and i'm being chased by the very one that i pursue Fix my eyes on you. Lover of our souls, keeper of our hearts, lover of our souls, sing to a new melody
promised bride and I'm destined to wear white my chest is full of hope and a dress and veil as snow he said he'd come for me he know when I'm ready my heart is aching for the coming of the Lord But my heart's 
coming soon. You're coming soon. speaking to the church in Sardis. 
And it says there was this little remnant who had not soiled their garments. Before Stephen started this song, and I, I was just like, you know what? Before I say it, before it happens, I'm going to pray. But it, because I think on some of you, the Lord's moving on you by His Spirit even right now. I want to, I want to tell you what I believe He's saying to me concerning you. And I'm not saying this is necessarily everybody in here, but the enemy has attempted in your life through some. It could have happened even back in your youth. It could have happened while you were in the church. It could have happened at your work. It could have happened at home. Is it tempted to log like a fragmentation grenade against you? And I don't know if you know what a fragmentation grenade is. But if an enemy lobs a grenade at you, one of the things you've probably seen this in films, the first thing that happens usually is you lose your sense of hearing. And your ears will ring and you can't, you, you get disoriented. And I, I, I saw this before I even got this verse that many of you, you're the little remnant dressed in white. But not, not purposefully had you soiled your garment, but the enemy had come against you to disorient you. This goes back maybe maybe some of you this could have happened at home like I said it could have happened in the church could, and he lobbed he lobbed a grenade at you to disorient you so that you can't hear you were clothed in white but what happened was the fragments of that grenade went into your clothing for some of you those fragments have become a part of your identity it gets into your skin and you start to take on the identity of the fragments to the identity of the clothing of white. It starts to wound your sense of and your consciousness. Here would be something that you might would say, I don't hear from him anymore. I don't know if he's talking to me. It causes you to sometimes be at a distance from other people. You can't be real. Some people, they feel impure like something has taken away their sense of purity. Some people feel like you just can't really know me anymore. Some people we wall off others because there's a sense of woundedness there. Some of you it happened when you were three years old. Somebody shouted or yelled and they said a cutting thing into your person. It literally got into your person and it's damaging your sense of identity. The Holy Spirit tells me this morning, He said to you, little remnant, that many of you in here have not purposefully soiled your garments, but your garment has been soiled by the work of the enemy against your life. It's come against you, even like I said, even from some of you, even all the way back, some of you before you even come out of your mama's belly. can't know what it is because it's we we begin to take it on like it's a part of who we are anybody touches that place sometimes we resist them and push them away or it hurts really bad and that wound can heal on the surface but it's still there underneath the skin
the beauty of the Holy Spirit right now. Listen, some of you, I know that you know that what I'm saying is to you. I don't know that I'm saying this to everyone. But the Lord wants you healed right now. I didn't do it on purpose, Carol. Now, maybe some people have been perpetrators and done things on purpose, but I'm telling you from the Lord that many in here have suffered in a victim kind of way. But you can't be a victim. He's the one who conquers. He's the great liberator. He's the one that goes in with the forceps, proverbally speaking, and extracts out. He cuts the wound open. He pulls out the shard. It's telling you that you're disconnected from him. That tells you to wall off other people because he can't trust anybody. That every time somebody hits that place of woundedness, you have to go isolate. Not anymore. I saw it while Stephen was singing the song. I saw many of you, you said, I'll set my eyes on you, Lord. And all of a sudden, that charred place in your white garment, I saw him pull it out. And I saw the darkness around the edges that looked like nothing could heal it. I saw it coming back and shrinking up into back into a place of white. individuals in Sardis who have not stained their clothes, not by purposefully, not purposefully, no. They walk with me dressed in white because they are worthy. Hey, you know, maybe this is hard for you to say. made me worthy. Say it to your say it. He's made me worthy. He's made me worthy. He's made me worthy. You can't say that no because that's arrogance. No, no, he's made you worthy. He's made me worthy. Because he's made me worthy. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy are you, Lord. Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy are you, Lord. You're the one who conquered. And we'll be dressed like him. In white clothing. And I will never erase your name. From the book of life. I will never cast you out. Some of you have been cast out by others. But the Lord, He writes your name in the book of life and says to you, 
I will never cast you out. I will never do it to you. And I will declare, says the Lord, and he makes a declaration over you this morning. I will declare before the Father and before his angels. Hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to the churches.
Just this week, I was, I was talking to my daughter, and I felt like the Lord was doing a work in me, and I felt like there was like a a splinter in my in my soul and. Lord was working to take that out, put me through trials and tribulations, and when you have splinters, it's usually pus involved, and pus is good because it actually it makes that splinter just pop. And I, as I was talking to her, I, I said I was reminded of you when you're younger. had a splinter and we'd try to take the splinter out and you knew it was going to hurt and you knew that it had to take be taken out but you really
really didn't trust whether you could give yourself over to us and trust that we would take the splinter out. And I told her, <laughs> it was like the Lord saying, do you trust me? response was kind of, but I'm hesitant. And there's many of us who have that shrapnel, those splinters in our life that we almost guard. And there's resistance to open up all that we are to him to trust in him to go to those those deep places those places we want to forget about those places we want to ignore but they just keep moving show themselves in our lives so the Lord saying Will you trust me? Will you trust me? For those places in you that are deep, those, those wounds that seem like they'll never go away. For I desire to heal you. to make you whole, my precious ones. To not bring you harm. To be with you in the pain of it. As I take it from you, and make it whole. Trust in me, says the Lord, trust in me. Bless you and not harm you. Trust in me. saying something I guess I just I'm not wanted I'm not attractive enough I 
was a lie of the enemy to derail your life. three years old or so, really young, made a decision. No one's going to hurt me like this again. They built a wall. Today. Behold, I make all things new. Someone's dealing with this. Someone's cussing you out. And calling you all kinds of names. Why don't you stop it, Lord? It wasn't me, says the Lord. Is there with you. I'm with you right now. See, little remnant, the Lord knows who you are, but so does your enemy. For some of you, your whole life, he's been trying to derail you, get you, get you just to get out of trust with him, the Lord. we have we picked up some PTSD I know how this feels because I'm in leadership Sometimes you feel like you got to be strong for others and you can't let yourself down. I mean, you can't let yourself be exposed because who's going to be strong for everybody else if you find out that deep down inside something's really bothering you? In some ways, you can't really be authentic and be real you're not exposed I invite you to because I've had to do it thousands of times now let the exposure come you know it may not happen in this room this morning but Some of us are flitting throughout life just trying to run from place to place so we don't have to deal with it. And the Lord just wants sort of sometimes 
to just get us still for a moment so he can just get at it. Some of us are making ourselves busy all the time and really anxiety is sitting right next, right under us and it's just sitting there all the time. And the word's like, let me take you and give you peace. You don't have to be anxious. You don't have to please everybody around you. Already approve of you. I approve of you right now. It's so freeing to live like that, and it really is how you'll actually be a greater help to others. Like if I unplug for me right now, everything falls apart. And the Lord would say to you, no, let me have you, and everything will be brought to order. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Janie said something a couple weeks ago at our Thursday prayer meeting that, and I, I don't know if you deal with this, but some of us are holding back grief so much it's sitting right here in the middle of our chest, and we're so afraid if we just let it go, it would just overtake us. But some of us, we really do need to grieve. It's a legitimate thing. Some of us are holding back anger, but you really need to express some things that are really bothering you. You need to like get it out. Don't shove it over and over again because it, 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 it can take you down. The Word gives us permission to do that. You're real. You're a human. You're a human being. You're going through stuff all the time. I didn't know that. I didn't know you could do that. Most of my life, I just shoved everything. I didn't know you could, that he would be delight, even in our human weakness and even in our trials. It's okay. You know, it's okay to confront too. It's okay to say, this really bothers me. It's okay. No, you don't understand, Carol. It's not okay. I'll get retribution. It's okay. Because the more you realize he delights in you, then even if you got the retribution from another, his delight is there. It's okay. It's hurting because if you don't say it, it'll store up in there. And you have to create a false self live out of that false self and it soils your life it hurts you it's okay well you don't understand carol it's not okay it is because he loves you and he's overcome the world and he is victorious in your life you can really love in that place you can say even this hey father forgive them they don't know what they've done they don't know what they're doing. It's okay. I know I'm speaking to someone here. It's okay. We got in here this morning and the words like, go to Psalms 45. Because it's about the bride. Now, I didn't know Stephen was going to sing the song about the bride being made ready. I didn't know I was getting into Revelation 3-4. We don't know what we're doing here. 
don't know what we're doing. We just love him. healing right now. Some of you are not experiencing this, but some of you are, and we just need to be um, patient while the Word works. His good work in our life. I feel edgy sometimes when I get hurt, and what happens when you get edgy when you're, someone touches your wound? Then you have to deal with the guilt of mistreating others yourself, and this becomes even harder to deal with. It's better for the Lord to just get at the place where it's at so you don't have to deal with the guilt of the edge that comes when it cuts someone else because you've been cut yourself. Just let the Lord have it. And guilt can be a worse thing to deal with than the actual thing that happens. okay to cry, it's okay to weep, it's okay to well. The Lord came not to just get after the healthy and the but after those of us that needed to be bound up and healed to come after our wounded hearts.
of who he 
is. I declare to you, I declare to you and I double declare to you that the victory that overcomes this world is even your faith and that you have that victory even now. Amen. Amen. Yeah! <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Amen. 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 I, um, amen. Let's, uh, let's take our morning tithe and offerings. I can jump into this text. I'm excited to give because I just got it. <laughs> so thank you, Lord. Lord, I thank you this morning for the privilege to give. I thank you for this time we can come together. I pray, Lord, that you would bless our hands and our labor and the, and the fruit, Lord, that comes out of our life. I pray that you would cause a great expansion in this house in every direction, Lord. I pray that the wineskin would expand the new work that you're doing, Lord, in all of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Bless you as you give. I, I believe this morning probably it may be one of the most more important messages that I've ever been able to proclaim, and I, I know that sort of sounds loaded, and it, it could be something that's used for an attention grabber, but I'm certainly, uh, that's not my intention. And, and I want to jump into the, uh, the text this morning, and I have something to build off 
up with you. Um, I want to, first of all, just say this. Congratulations. Today marks our first year. Uh, we have, yeah, yeah. Yeah, today, today we started one year ago, uh, this ministry downtown, and I am really thrilled about it, and I think it's very emblematic today what the Holy Spirit just instantly like puts this understanding into my spirit. And I, I certainly wasn't ready for this, but I'm really um, happy that I can actually preach it, because I've, I've actually been wanting to say this message for probably over two months now. And it just hasn't been the appropriate time. But as it is today, and as we've embarked upon our first year, today becomes that day. Uh, Tom came up earlier, and he introduced something. He felt led of the Lord to come up on Isaiah 55. And I want to just say something about Isaiah 55, because many of you have read that, right? Come and what? Buy. Come and purchase, I think, in reality, come and purchase gold like he'll speak up later on in Revelation. Come and buy without money and without a cost. And uh, I don't know how you do economy like that, but we don't, we don't do uh, goods or services like that. Generally speaking, all goods and services, right, they have a cost generally speaking, and they require some kind of monetary exchange, right? So Isaiah, speaking, speaking of something else, he must be speaking of another dimension because he's not talking about uh, the world's economy, that's for sure. He's not talking about Wall Street because everything, both goods and services, requires money as an exchange and some kind of cost is leveraged against it. And one thing I love about Isaiah 55 is he, he goes on and he says, I set a prototype man in the nation. Uh, and his name was David, the king. He said, I, I set him out as prototype. I made him both master and commander of my people. Watch the way his heart operates. Look at David's life. And I, I don't know how many of you have studied like A.W. Pink. Anybody ever read A.W. Pink? Pink, Life of David, Steve Sr., yes. Life of David, A.W. Pink. I mean, Mike Bickle has a really good series on Life of David. But, you, I mean, just absolute beautiful understanding of that man's life. And it was said about David that he had a what after the Lord? He had a heart. And we don't like this. We don't like this really. We don't like to monetize someone else's what? Heart. I mean, we, we know that something's wrong when we begin to monetize what comes from the heart. What do I, what I mean by that? To use, to abuse someone in the reality of who they really are. Right? Doesn't this, it bothers us as it should. So Jesus says, come and buy Without money and without price, I made this man a prototype. Pay attention to the way he lives his life. And there are many marks of the life of David that are just worth looking at. But one thing 
that he was after was not after leadership. He was not after becoming a king. He, he wasn't setting that as his primary motivation in life. He had set the Lord his God before him and he wanted to worship him. How does he kill the lion and the bear? That man knew how to worship. So he models for us a different type of leadership. A leadership that goes in and seeks the very face of God and out of that the reality comes. Did God make him king? Yeah. Was he in charge? Yeah. But he's a model for us of flipping this thing upside down. And David began to understand, as we have, that you can do nothing. Jesus said this. I do nothing except what I what? That's a radical philosophical shift on the very mode and being of life. Wait a minute, I'm waiting. I'm waiting. I'm waiting until I see you at work and then I'm not going to engage with anything until you move, Lord. Think about this. And it's in that place that the great exchange of heaven happens in your life. And so if Isaiah 55 was to represent anything, and that's just the beginning of it, it represents this different mode because so many people are thinking from a monetary perspective. So many people are thinking from an exchange rate perspective. I put this much in, what? I get this much out, right? That's pragmatism. That's not necessarily Christianity. In Christianity, you go in and we talk about, I've taught this about you, you go blank slate. You go into the realm of, I don't know. I just laid everything down. Then the Lord introduces something to you. And you wait on that. And so this is really um, important as it does lead into the text this morning because the philosophy of God's kingdom, Jesus' kingdom that he said is, certainly I don't do anything or nothing. Anybody ever watched the... What's his name? Uh, Christopher Robbins? Y'all know this guy? Winnie the Pooh. Melinda knows. Winnie the Pooh, Christopher Robin. It was a film that came out a few years ago. And did you know that what Winnie the Pooh says? And I, I was, the, very, the very best of... I can't do it. <laughs> the very best of nothing. Something comes from nothing. That is Isaiah 55. The very best of something comes from nothing. And if you watch Christopher Robin, you'll see this dad really having a struggle. He's trying to do sales and everything else, and it's just not working out for him. And then he gets this model, and he flips it upside down at the end, and he realizes that the relationship with his children and the relationship of that life was more important than all these things he was trying to do for them it was relating with them that changed everything. And then all of a sudden, in the film, the model that he needs to expand wealth and blessing in his life just dropped into his mind, and everything he needed to take care of his family was taken care of. The very best of something comes from Jesus said it too. David modeled it. 
Now think about orienting your life this way. And let's get in this morning to Jeremiah chapter 33. And I want to develop this idea this morning when God calls your name twice. When, when God calls your name twice. Jeremiah chapter number 33. Here is the, if you use the NET version, that's a version I use. I like it. It's the New English Translation because... There's a lot of great notes in it, and I'm telling you to use that. You may have your physical Bible, and you can't. It's not NET, but I've enjoyed it a lot because I can read these notes in the Hebrew, and they, they did a really nice job on giving you that, and I believe they do the same thing for the Greek in the New Testament. But in the heading here, this is, this is the heading of Jeremiah 33. The Lord promises a second time to restore Israel and Judah. The Lord spoke to Jeremiah a second time. While he was still confined in the courtyard of the guard house. What did Winnie the Pooh say? The very best of comes from? While Jeremiah is in the guard house, confined. Anybody in here like to be confined? Mm -mm. Aaron Lineker, she just looked at me like, no, I don't. I don't think that any of us have a certain proclivity to confinement. But Jeremiah, God's, his, his guy that he called... He puts him in a place of confinement so that he can actually uh, speak to him and give him a mandate, a what? A first time or a second time? A second time. The very best of something comes from, if you get anything, get that today. God's exchange rate, the way that he looks at economy, the way that he looks at your life is not pragmatic. The Lord would put you and me into a place of confinement. He would even allow it that someone's guarding you. You move. Well, the Lord doesn't love me because he's put me under a guard. That guy's going to pop me if I move. I mean... That especially we think, God would never do that to me. I mean, God, if he, God loved me, God wouldn't put me in confinement. God wouldn't hedge me in on every side and set me into a place where I can't move. Not a good father wouldn't put a guy up in there with a rifle or 10 guys, or in David's case, 3,000 mercenary trained army guys I mean, they're being paid to hunt him. No. How could God love his people if he confined his people? I feel like I'm just being pressed into a corner. Anybody, anybody know what I'm talking about? Yes. Because if you're God's son and daughter, you do. But, and then we say, I, I want out. I want to suggest to you today. 
That if, if, and this is just a small application, that if right now you're in some place where you're being hinged in on every side, you need to stop fighting it. And what you need to do is embrace it and ask the Lord, what are you trying to say to me? Uh, I, I shared with you last week that this happened to me at 3.33 in the morning two weeks ago. When I wake up at 3.33 and all of a sudden I, <clears throat> and you can listen to it, the podcast, uh, Event Horizon 2, which means the point of no return. I was woke up and next thing you know, I have an experience where I'm going to die, and, and it, it was real to me. It felt like someone was pulling my life force out of my body. You talk about feeling confined. That was not a pleasurable experience. But basically, long story short, I come out of that and I say, oh, God. Because I was mourning, I was mourning that my life had not I had not been able to give everything that I could give to carrying those kids and primarily them, but my life had been cut short. And man, I hadn't even got started. I feel like I'm just getting warmed up. I mean, we haven't even got into anything yet. And it was all over, and I'm lamenting it. And I come out of that experience, I mean, scared to live in daylight side of me. And I realized one thing Psalms 119.88. Lord, the life that I want, I want it to be steadfast in love so that I will not forsake your law. I knew that I wanted a steady life that was quick, fast to love. I was tired of choosing myself. I knew in that moment that any choice of self was just jacked up way to live your life. I knew that nothing mattered anymore if love wasn't flowing and moving. And if I was getting left or right, I wanted all that to stop. I wanted steadiness. And when my person started to back off and say, I just can't love anymore. I'm getting aggravated here. I'm getting all tensed up. I'm tired of it. I knew that I was like, uh-uh. I, I want to take my wheel, Lord, and just accelerate it into love so I wouldn't choose my own self again. I knew that no life was worth living if that life did not love. And I mean love, not this so sloppy kind of sappy stuff that the world talks about that's really about you. I'm, I'm talking about Corinthians 13 kind of love. Right? Love that's not rude. Love that's not conceited. Love that's not right. I'm, I'm talking about real love. Love that involves you losing your life for his sake in the gospel. That kind of love. I wanted that. Because I didn't want a testimony before him one day that that wasn't the life that was being lived. I felt trapped. I couldn't even hold my own life. Folks, we don't know how much affection we have. Karen and I talked about this morning for breathing. <laughs> it was like that. People are experiencing this right now. It's called COVID-19. Lord. It's serious. This isn't a game. This isn't a joke. What's going on? It's real. 
God who gives life, God who gives breath. I don't like quarantine. The Lord's trying to get some people's attention. I want to talk to you. I want your life to matter. He says here in verse 2, I the Lord, I do these things. I the Lord form the plan and I bring it about. I started this whole thing. Listen, it's easier for you to get alone with the sovereignty of God. The faster you do, the better it'll be. The more you put yourself at the center, the harder it is. Let me tell you, take this by revelation so it doesn't have to be by situation. It's faster for you to embrace the sovereignty of God and his right to govern your life in this world. It's quicker for you to embrace that than it is for you to persist doing your own thing. Listen to me, when, I, when we say this word, the very best of something comes from nothing. Do you know what you're embracing? The sovereignty of God in all things. You're, you're basically saying that, whoa, my life is not my own, I've been bought with a price. Lord, if you desire to hem me in on every side, and I feel like I'm being trapped, and I, I feel like that if I move outside of this position that you have me in, that something's going to happen to me in a negative way. I, okay, I embrace it. Stop fighting it. Embrace the moment. Embrace it right now. In, in your, God, you're in control of my life. You're writing the narrative. What does he call himself? The author and the what? Who is in charge of your narrative? And let me tell you, and, and Stephen said this before we started this morning, why live a life that doesn't have meaning in it? When God writes your story, it will have meaning. If you go write your story, and my, my oldest daughter, Elizabeth, has been talking to me quite a bit about this, about people living in a false reality. They basically are building their own story and their own narrative they're deciding every day the way they're going to live their life. And a lot of it results in basic emptiness or pride or self-aggrandizement or some other form. I'm declaring to you today that there is no reality for your life that's outside of the narrative of God. Everything else is artificial reality. It's an artificial intelligence. It has no real reality. And what you hear sometimes when people communicate from a false reality, their words go out of their mouth and they fall right to the ground. You know what I'm saying, right? They're propping themselves up on a false meaning, a meaning that they made for themselves. They have a meta-narrative, a narrative that they designed in their own idea. Or, and this gets into some stuff, but... That's what postmodernism, if you understand this word, what it's about. It says, well, we realized that we can't go off imperial, imperial fact anymore because that didn't work back in the 40s, 50s, 60s, and 70s. So now the postmodern mindset is really there's no meaning at all and everything's a game and everything I can do whatever I want. I would suggest to you that an empirical fact-based thing 
And trying to find it out of just gaining some kind of natural order, was it going to like uh, fix us? No, that, that got proved back in the, uh, really especially after the post-World War II. It got rocked, the professional class. They got rocked right after Watergate. It rocked the whole thing. I would suggest to you that we don't neither want progressivism or professionalism. The very best of something comes from nothing. See, the gospel is fundamentally different. And if you want to grow in your relationship with the Lord, you must, you must, you must accept this philosophy of life. Otherwise, you choose a professionalism or a progressivism, a legal basis or a liberal basis, and it will lead you left high and dry. He's the author and the finisher of your faith. Do you see the difference? Do you see the difference? Do you see the right and the left, the red and the blue, the legal and the liberal? Do you see it? Has, has the crown virus exposed it? I want to quarantine you. <laughs> no, no, Lord, no. Don't do that to me. He quarantined the high priest. Why wouldn't he quarantine the remnant? Why? Because God is wanting to say something to you. A second time. He said, I'm, I'm known as the Lord. And I mentioned this last week because I love that about him. I'm known as the guy. That's how they know me around here. <laughs> I'm not just the president. He's just whatever. He's a lackey. No. I'm the king. I'm not just a king. I'm the king. I'm known. When people know me, they know me as the guy who's in charge. <laughs> I like that about him. He's not kind of soft pedaling it and coming around. I'm in charge. <laughs> I'm in charge. Okay. I'm in the room. The king's in the house. <laughs> Call on me in prayer. Listen, uh, and I will answer you. So, so first of all, God wants to speak a second time. The Lord's going to speak to Jeremiah. God's got him in confinement. God's got some guards around him. He's quarantined. The Lord's wanting to say something to him. He's saying that you can do your own planning if you want to. Go ahead and plan ahead. But I'm going to tell you, I'm the one that's made the plan. You can get on my plan or you can do your own plan. You can get on that government plan or whatever. <laughs> Or you can get into my plan. Uh, my plan's going to prevail because my word will never pass away. I mean, even if the whole earth rocks off its uh, axis, my word's going to stay true. So why don't you just go ahead and get into my plan? Now call on me in prayer. Hey, it's an imperative. Call on me. And I will answer you. I remember one time... I asked the Lord about, I think it was Job 38, 6 or 7. I tell this story in my podcast, Genesis 0. And I said, Lord, I don't know what that means. That evening, I said, Lord, could you tell me what that means? You know, the morning stars shout, the morning stars sing, the uh, sun shout for joy or something like that. I said, like, what does that mean? I get a phone call from Danilo Castillo. Would you like to have a meeting at 
I said, yeah, let's meet at Barnes & Noble. I go in there, and he says, do you know what Job 38, 6, and 7 means? Uh, call on me, and I'll answer you. Man, I'm living proof. If you ask the Lord a question, he'll answer you. I've had so many questions answered, and it is the best life to live. You're like, I don't, I don't understand this. I'll take care of it. But let me just say, I also didn't really like being uh, quarantined for 17 years either. <laughs> but it was in the midst of quarantine, it was in the midst of that pressure that God began to relate. It's in, it's in the middle of the thing that's coming in on every side, and it feels like I'll never get out of this. That's when you really get to know him. I'm so grateful to the Lord, and I think you would give me an amen for the times in my life when he didn't just let me run rampant and do whatever I wanted to do. I know Stephen, he, he's my brother. Uh, Leander asked this week, he said, is he your brother? I said, yeah, ask him. He said, well, y'all don't necessarily look the same. I said, we're, we're both brothers from different mothers. I was like, he's my brother, but I, I know that you would say that when you went to Germany and you're trying to run that band, Enemy Lovers, wouldn't you rather have what the Lord had for you than fame, separation? I mean, he'll tell you he's got a testimony. I love his testimony, but I mean, it's an ongoing one too. It, it, it isn't stopping because it has, he has meaning happening in his life. It's Isaiah 43, 21. I was made to praise him. God made me. He made me to praise him. And we can all attest to that. Amen. Thank you, brother. Thank you for believing who you are. I'll show you great and mysterious things that you don't even know about. No, I know everything. <laughs> I just say that. I already know everything. No, you don't. You think you know everything that you know, but until you get into the very best of something comes from you think you know everything. Hey, listen, let's just be real. If you don't live that life like David lived, you think that way. Because you're living out of your own narrative. Am I right? Because if you don't practice I don't know, so I come to you, Lord, admitting right now that I can't do this on my own. You're actually living a life that thinks you know more than God does. And you will not progress from glory to glory that way. So why the second time? You guys are going to love this. I absolutely love it. Uh, Stephen and I love this. We spent 12 weeks, probably 10 or 12 weeks, in a book called The Preface to Paradise Lost. Uh, I would say it's a bit of a heady read, right, Tom and Janie? I loaned them the book, and uh, we got on page three together, and we were just stuck there for a while. But oh, it's good. And Lewis lays out the classification of, of epic poetry. And I use the word epic. Do you understand what epic means? Anybody in here? Epic. One of my kids knows the definition of this. What is epic? Manny, do you, could you say it? Yeah, you could, but you won't. 
You gave me the definition like a week ago. He could say the whole definition of epic. It's like a national what? A national what? A national story or national poem related to the journey of a hero. Could be a heroine as well. So in literature, epics are, um, they say, and I'll give you like an idea of like an epic, okay? Um, uh, Homer wrote a primary epic poem called what? The Iliad. And there, there's this guy, and if, if you're taking notes, take this down, but there's this guy, his name's Joseph Campbell. Anybody know who Joseph Campbell is? Joseph Campbell wrote a book, A Hero with a Thousand Faces. <clears throat> Anybody know who George Lucas is? Anybody ever heard of Star Wars? They got all the kids in the back. I might not know who Lucas is, but I know who Star Wars is. Well, George Lucas, George Lucas took Joseph Campbell's work on the hero's journey to build uh, the Star Wars franchise that is so popular, almost one of the most popular franchises, I think besides maybe what came out with uh, the guy who did Avatar, that there is in the movie industry today, most grossing. So there was something being said out of the major framework of what Lucas did when he built those nine, that nine-part series that he had envisioned at the very beginning. But he took his primary understanding for Star Wars out of uh, Joseph Campbell, who I mentioned to you this morning, who wrote the work, A Hero with a Thousand Faces. Now, I'm not up here to ascribe to Joseph Campbell. I, I don't know if he was a Christian or not. But what he did was really profound. He was a mythologist. And he took the stories of myth through, throughout Roman and Greek literature and Christian literature and he found something that he put together which was called, is called a 17-stage monomyth. Anybody ever looked at this? Well, this 17-stage monomyth goes through three sections. And what it is, is it's the story of a primary epic hero's journey. Are you all tracking with me? I know I'm saying a lot, but... Remember, George Lucas, who did Star Wars, got his primary source material from Joseph Campbell, who studied mythology and Christianity, and what he did is he found what was written into the code of a human being that was basically the framework of what someone would go through if they took the path of a hero or a hero line. Are we tracking? What he found was what would be called a primary epic. And those 17 stages, they're worth looking at. I've been actually wanting to print them out for you and bring them here so you can look at them. But, I, but don't take what this preaching lightly today. Go home and study what I'm saying. And there's three sections in it. There's an initiation. In the first part of it. And then there's this section where they go through a road of trials and difficulty. And then there's this crossing the return threshold and they come back through get this the 16th stage do you know what it is it's called master of two worlds it sound like 
Does it sound like anything maybe that might be in the Bible? Blessed are ye, Abram, possessor of heaven and what? Earth. The 17th stage, he calls the freedom to actually live. I would say, mostly, that most people never take this journey, for the most part. But I'm not preaching this morning to most people. <laughs> I'm preaching to God's little remnant. I'm preaching to the people who actually decided to take the journey of faith. And what I'm giving you this morning is that the very best of something comes from nothing because Jesus said, I do nothing except what I see my father doing. That the only way to progress in the hero's journey, because many people lose their way in it, is this philosophy that comes from Isaiah 55 that Jeremiah is going to be experiencing. And that there is, and Campbell found it, and he was brilliant. He found 17 stages inside the human development. And if you ever read A Hero with a Thousand Faces, I, I bought the book five or six years ago. I started teaching it some to MZ Hopner. Everybody's like, look, gloss over. I guess maybe I was a little ahead of my time or something. Maybe Campbell was ahead of his time. They say Lucas with his space odyssey was ahead of time, right? I mean, everybody's like, George, give me a break. The Star Wars thing's never going to come off. Well, he found something, didn't he? It came off. A lot of people like it. Right, Emma? Emma likes it, yeah. She'll be wearing, like, Yoda shirts and, you know, BB, I don't know. She's, she, and the little, uh, what's his name? Grogu. She's got her Grogu shirts and stuff. That's off the Mandalorian. Anyways. Primary epic. Listen to me because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring this in. You're going to really like this. It's poetry which stems from heroic deeds of which are, uh, this is this definition, which is composed in the first instance in order that such deeds may not be forgotten. It is practical in purporting to record historical events and deals with the real world. However, much glamour may be added to the process. The heroic poems that were written, and now, now when, when C.S. Lewis is looking at the preface to Paradise Lost, he's looking at Milton, uh, who wrote the preface to Paradise Lost. And the reason why I suggest this book so much it's because it's a preface to Paradise Lost. <laughs> like literally. Right, Stephen? I mean, we found out it was like taking a view of what happened when Adam and Eve fell. It's, it's really more brilliant than just looking at the epic poem of Milton. He's really unpacking the very nature of what happened to man and woman in the fall. Well... The ideas in, is in this ministry here in Edenland, also known as Asheville, that God would begin to restore through primary epic a remnant family. He would bring us through a reformation. Luther got it started. Justification by faith alone. Justification by faith alone is also a really nice way of saying the very best of comes from Thank you. 
Because all primary epic, it relates to that. It all relates to that you're justified by faith alone. Um, you don't get your justification or your right, of your life or whatever, except by faith. For by grace you are saved through faith. It's not of yourself. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, it's a gift of God. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. So God's reformation in your life is to lead you that you will not be justified by anything other than your relationship of faith with the Father. Don't you listen to Howard Pittman on placebo. Take that note. Listen to him when he gets dies in 1970s and is caught up to the third heaven and the voice of the Lord comes over and says, your works are an abomination to me. Why? I was running for office as a sheriff. I was feeding all these, taking care of all these orphans. I was leading a pastorate of the church. And then the Lord says, it's all an abomination to me. Why? Because you did it for yourself. You didn't really do it by faith. Whoo, man, when we, Karen and I, we heard that on our way out of Pensacola when we got our call 17 years ago. Oh, 17 years ago. <laughs> Interesting. But, uh, And man, I heard that, and I, I remember, I, I think Carol was actually driving, which was kind of unusual too, but I, I was like, I would get in the floorboard of the car, and like, I was repenting, man. So I was like, let it not be so. I don't care what hell we have to go through. If it's not done out of relationship with Jesus, I don't want to do it. You cannot progress in your primary epic of your life when God speaks to you the first time. Unless you come along this path, the very best of something comes from nothing, that you are justified by faith alone. Stop living your life building your own super-narrative, meta-narrative, postmodern progressive thing. Stop it. Again, I'm, I know this goes outside of here because it's podcasting, and podcasting's clicking up in a lot of, number of nations right now out of this room. Stop living like that, all of you... In podcast land. Or any of us for that matter when we're being checked daily. Am I waiting on the Lord? I'm telling you, there's a revisitation of this every single day of your life. No, I got saved and whatever, whatever. No, stop it now. Yes, you did, but stop it. Get with him right now. All that's happening in here is just to model that. So you'll do that all week. That's all we're doing here. That's what leadership is, is to equip you and model before you the way life should be done. Yeah, we're not all on a platform, but this is life. Get into worship. Stop the exchanging of all this other stuff. Stop what you're doing and get into the presence of the Lord. Recognize that you can do nothing without him. Stop trying to do something. It leaves you with a pragmatic life, and it can leave you resentful. It can leave you with anxiety. It can leave you with anguish. It can get you up very angry. You can be left empty. It displaces other people around you. But man, when you're living the abundance of God and he has meaning pouring into your life every day, you won't treat other people that way. You'll be the greatest good to others. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. I think uh, Stephen and I, we're like, yes, we love some epic, uh, epic uh, poetry, but primary epic, and then, I, and then Lewis gets into secondary epic. And man, I was like scratching my head, and I was like, 
we met together. I was like, I got to read this again. I don't even know what he's talking about. And I didn't. I didn't know what it meant when God would go, Abraham, <clears throat> Abraham. I didn't know what he meant when he went, Moses, Moses. I didn't know what he meant when he said, Martha, Martha. I didn't know why ten times in Scripture God had called someone's name twice. I didn't really understand why Job, in Job 42, it says that he restored to him double. I didn't understand in Zechariah chapter 9 when he would tell the remnant, flee to the stronghold of Zion and today I will restore to you double. I didn't know what those old holiness guys were talking about, about the double blessing. Y'all ever heard about that? I didn't know what Keswick was talking about when they said, there's a double blessing. I didn't understand promise and oath. I didn't know that God was, I didn't know you could run up to the Lord in prayer one time and then go back a second and boom. I didn't know that, I didn't know that so many times I was backing off when I needed to press in and get a victory. <laughs> God made you for the double. He didn't make you just for yourself. He made you for him. I want to whet your appetite today. Because many of you, many of you have been through the primary epic. Actually, I think the Lord's held my tongue to speak this, even though I've been wanting to get into it for, well, I said two months, maybe three months since I was reading about it. It's kind of held my, my tongue until we were ready. Because many of you have been coming up and you've been getting this collider thing and you've been getting when heaven comes to earth. And some of you are like struggling because one of the things that happens in the hero's journey is you get what they call this boon. Uh, Campbell calls it, you get this really in-depth thing from God. And you're like, struggling with what to do with it. It's become precious to you. It took everything. You lost so much because you said yes to him. And it's time for you to begin to engage with it. And some of us, we would think that I've come through this whole entire journey. Why did you put me into quarantine again? I thought this was supposed to be my best life now. <laughs> I hear my voice, hear the word of the Lord to you. Hear the word of the Lord. What you went on that journey for will not be wasted. I mean, we know, we, we experienced it last week with the Oshermans. You know, there's a graduation in this house. We're graduating.
secondary epic. Listen to this. It's poetry that deals with the heroic legend. But it's more abstract than the primary epic. <laughs> Why do you talk like that? <laughs> you know. I mean, Jesus was doing this in John 6. He said, eat my flesh, drink my blood. What does it say happened to the ones who were engaged in the hero's journey? He said, many left him. One of the qualities we learned about secondary epic is the Lord doesn't make things simple. They may be a little bit more complex so that you'll, you, you lean in so that you can hear and see and observe what he's doing. Because he's, he's wanting to see, are you really hungry for him? Um, it's going to take a lot of courage. I, I've been feeling this this whole week. I, I'm just like, oh, Lord, how are we going to do this? This ministry, you, you called us to something. I don't know what to do. He said, I got your attention, don't I? I was like, yeah, about killing somebody will get your attention real fast. I got your attention, didn't I? You've been goofing off. I was like, goofing off? I just, I've been saying yes to you all the time. Goofing off, I got something I want to do. You know, the Lord's kind of humorous like that. They say that the, the poet's seeing eye and his own personal style comes together to create something to others that may not even look like reality but really is. The poet's seeing eye The Lord said this to me, he says, sheep hear, but kings see. Ladies, you can take that as a queen. It's like I lift up my eyes from whence cometh my help. My help comes from the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. You go again, you lift up your eyes unto heaven. You say, I, oh, there you are again. And he gives you the double proof, objective proof of an unseen reality. And he says, bring it into reality now. Faith is the title need hope for. It's the objective proof of an unseen reality. Why did you go on that primary journey? Why were you on that primary epic? So you can begin to see me and mix it with the personal style of who you are and bring me into this world to change this world. The Lord didn't want to take away your style. He, didn't, he wasn't trying to take away your personality. You're special just like you are, Bombadil. I'm talking about Tom McManus. Your, your style, the, the way that you are, is special to the Lord. You're created with a particular fingerprint. God likes you the way he made you. He was changing your character to conform it to his will and his purpose and to make all things new. I'm going to take your seeing eye now. 
the eye that sees by faith, that can see into the heavenly dimension. And I'm going to begin to take your life. And I'm, even though you've been in quarantine, and even though you've been in the guardhouse, and even though you've been in confinement, and I'm ready to take something of your life and begin to transmit it into this world. Get ready to see the title deeds come forth. Everybody stand with me. Hey, receive this this morning from the Holy Spirit. Because I tried to say this to you for three weeks and he wouldn't let me until I had to wait all the way to the end of worship this morning. He said, give them the double. Give them my primary and secondary epic. Give it to them now. For now, now. Hey, Moses, you're going to take up a staff. And where power has seemed like it would corrupt you before and cause you to see another man who was a taskmaster and kill him 40 years ago, now when I hand power to you, you won't use it for anything else but to love. I've been preparing you. And I'm not going to just leave you here. And yeah, you've come to an event horizon. You've come to the point of no return. Because now I'm in you and you're in me. Yeah, I'm wanting to transmit something out of your life. And, uh, Lord, I pray today, I pray right now that you cause us to believe. Even those of us, Lord, have come to the end of a long and trying journeys. And many of us in this room who have have been saying yes to you for years, Lord, that, that, that there would begin to be a trust uh, in us again, that we don't just have to get behind someone, that we can get out there with you because we're behind, you're behind us, that you're out in front of us and you've got our rear guard and you've got a plan for us. My life has purpose and real meaning. Hey, listen, listen. I, I, think this, I think these things are, can be really hard. Yeah, I'm too old for this now. I've been through so much. No, you're not. I watched my, I watched Red Winters, who was my daddy's spiritual father in, 80, in his 80s, have more youthfulness in him than some young people that I know. He had more life to give inside of him than hardly anybody. I mean, it was the most beautiful life. No, you're not too old. No, you're not too far gone. No, no, you're not. Yeah, Carol, it took a long time for me to get to this place. Hey, better, better that. Better that than spending your life, spinning your wheels with no real meaning and purpose. Better you than you chose to say this very best of something comes from nothing. take trust for you to believe what your eyes see it's going to take trust ladies and gentlemen it's going to take some courage but I want to impart to you this morning and I, I want to say even over this house that we're there thank you Lord and we're here
call out unto me and I will answer you. Drink my flesh, excuse me, eat my flesh, drink my blood. You're those who, you didn't leave that, you didn't leave him there. You didn't walk away when he said something enigmatic, something metaphoric, like something that you couldn't understand. You stayed with him. Transformed by it. Let's come forward together uh, for communion. Draw me out again And I'm coming back from the dead I'm coming out of my skin From the dirt you've drawn me out You draw me out again back from the dead I'm coming out of my skin
broken. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And he took the cup and he said, this is the blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for you. Do this in remembrance of me. May the Lord bless you and may the Lord keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you, be gracious to you, and may you have peace. Amen. Bless you today.